You're listening to Hosea, the Jealous Love of a Holy God, a Sunday school series taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, so we've been in the book of Hosea for about seven weeks now, and last week we began a trilogy of lessons on the final 11 chapters of the book of Hosea. So we took six weeks to get through the first three chapters, because that covers the life of Hosea. It is the analogy that the rest of the book is really explaining. And then part two of the book is the preaching of Hosea. And so our goal here is to discover why God's judgment is finally falling upon God's people. It's already been very clear to us in the life of Hosea and in his wife and in his children that judgment is falling, that they've done something very evil, very terrible, so bad that God is going to say to them, judgment is coming, so bad that God is going to say to them that there will be no more mercy for you and that you are not my people and I will not be your God. So very serious what's going on here in the book of Hosea with the land of Israel. And so what we find as we discover why God's judgment is falling is it reveals to us the character of mankind. And that is why it's so helpful for us. I think when you read the Bible, what becomes more and more amazing to me is how the Bible speaks to the problems and the heart of all people of all time, right? I mean, you read the stories that happened 3,000 years ago and you say, that that guy was thinking exactly the same way I think. He struggles with the same heart problems that I struggle with, right? The idols look differently, but they're there just like they are today. And so that's what we find here in Hosea, that it it really reveals the character of mankind and it reveals the character of God. And, And thank God that we serve a God who is immutable. He doesn't change, right? And so the God who was the God then is the God who is the God now. And so we can learn so much from the book of Hosea and from a study of the Old Testament about who God is. What a wonderful book that reveals the heart of God. We find that God grieves when his people are unfaithful to him. It is a heart that loves his children passionately and loves his children jealously. This is not, he's not a God who just created and he's just kind of here to see what happens or he's standing back and letting this experiment unfold. He is a God who is intimately involved in the details and he is, he is passionate about his creation, about his creatures, right? He has a passionate love for us and with any passionate love comes a jealous love. Right? It would be insane for me to say, I passionately love my wife and I have no problem with her loving other men as well. That'd be nuts. Would anybody think that I really passionately love my wife? And so here we find a God who passionately loves his, his people. And because his passionate love, he's not okay with them going off and loving other gods. Right? He's not okay with them changing his worship into a false worship. We also find that we serve a God who cannot condone sin. He will not. His heart is committed to the righteous judgment and justice. And that is true of God of then, it's true of God now, right? God is a holy God, a righteous God, a just judge, and he will con- condemn sin. He will punish sin. Finally, we find that God will never cease to love his own. He seeks to win his own back he wants to, to, to redeem those who have forsaken him. And what a beautiful picture that is into the love of God. He has a heart that longs to redeem even the vilest sinner. Right? And that is what God is about. 
He's, he's a loving God. He, he's jealous God. And he's going to condemn sin. He's going to punish sin. But he also seeks after and pursues sinners. It's an incredible thing. And so as we go through the remaining 11 chapters, we will find three main problems in Israel. So the first problem we saw last week, if there's three main problems in Israel, we go, I went through the, the 11 chapters following chapters 1, 2, and 3. And through the course of Hosea's preaching, what I did is I just chose what seemed to be the three greatest themes that, that come up over and over again that God was upset with when it came to the, to Israel and their actions. And the first one that we came up with last week was that they didn't know him, right? That they had changed the worship of God into this false worship, that they knew nothing of God. And so he begins pointing out that the problem with the priests, who the priest's job was to come to bring the people's sin before God, and they weren't doing their job well, and the problem with the prophets, who is their job was to bring God's word to the people. And so we, what we find is the people aren't getting to know God because they're not being taught truth about God, right? And when they are taught truth from someone like Hosea, they're rejecting that truth. And so the problem that begins this whole thing is that they don't know God. And the first step for anyone coming to real faith is understanding who God is right? God exists outside of your mind. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's not a concept for you to define as you wish. And that's the prevailing thought of our day, is that God can be who you want him to be. Whatever gives you strength, whatever gives you power, whatever makes you feel good, right? You go into an Alcoholics Anonymous, and I think the program has helped a lot of people in a lot of ways, but you think about the way that they see God. It's just, you know, you got to worship something. you got to have a higher power. You define what that is, right? That's exactly how people think about God. And this book makes it abundantly clear that that's not okay, that God transcends us. That means he is higher than us, he's greater than us, and he exists outside of us. His character traits are immutable. They don't change. They don't change for you. They don't change for me. They don't change because my box says this and yours says that. And so God, he, he is, right? And we got to get this in our minds. He's not something we get to define. He is something that exists outside and we have to know. We have to learn about. We have to, to figure out what this God is like. And, and we find that out, obviously, preeminently in his word. <clears throat> Israel thought they could worship the God they imagined in the method they pleased. And that's not okay. The God who is, and we must come to God in the way that he calls us to come to him. And the Bible makes that very clear. They were wrong on both accounts. So the lesson for us last week is that we must know God. We must know God on two levels. We must study God's word to learn who he is and what he's like. And we must know God in a relational way right? An experiential way. We must know God more than just in our minds. We must have a relationship. We must experience. We must pray. We must trust. We must have, and that's part of knowing God, right? And if all you know of God is what's in your head, then Christ would say, you don't know me. So already, I hope you see that, that this is very important in our day and age, right? The knowledge of God. I think the second thing we'll talk about today is trusting God, having faith in God. And that what Israel had done is that they didn't know God anymore, and they really didn't trust God anymore. 
right? They found other things for them to trust, other ways to find security, other things that, that were trying to bring peace and joy into their lives and how problematic that was for them. What's abundantly clear in the text today is that it is possible to be religious without trusting God. And, and this is, I mean, this should, this should in some ways, I mean, reveal our culture, reveal the problems. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, religion is a huge problem. Yeah, I, and I agree that in many ways, religion is a huge problem. Any, any religion that man makes is a huge problem. But it should also have us step back who say, okay, it is possible for me to be religious and to not trust God. Is that the case in my own life? Are there areas where I'm going through motions, but there's no real faith, there's no real relationship, there's no real trust going on here? And so over the next two lessons, we'll be hitting the highlights of the 10 chapters. Um, these 10 chapters worth of preaching from chapter 5 to chapter 14. Um, and let's begin at Hosea chapter 7. We'll look at verses 8 to 12. And what we're, we're going to be doing t- today is we're going to look at about 8 or 10 different passages that will give us this idea of how Israel had failed to trust God and in what areas Israel had failed to trust God. So Hosea chapter 7, starting at verse 8. Ephraim. Ephraim, again, is the largest tribe of the ten northern tribes. And so when he says Ephraim, he's talking to Israel. So Ephraim. He has mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake, not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knows it not. Yea, gray hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. When they shall go, I will spread my net upon them. I will bring them down as the fowls of heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation has heard. He says, this is the state of Israel. They have mixed themselves among the people. In other words, rather than staying pure and holy as they were called to do, they've began to adopt the practices and the, the wives and the, just the, the regular day-to-day activities of the world around them. Right? It had become something not separate. Something that was supposed to be sacred and holy had become something that was just common. That it was fine for it to be, you know, br- yeah, bring it all in. Let's, let's, let's bring the world into Israel. So that's exactly what had started all of this. He says that strangers have already devoured their strength. This is amazing because this is, Hosea is writing, writing to a people who at this time feels themselves to be very strong, right? We talked about how when Jeroboam became king, that he really made these um, strategic military alliances. And that when he did that, Israel started growing economically, that their military got stronger, that they felt really good about all their friends around them. And so at this time in Israel's history, they feel very good about themselves, right? When they look to their own strength, when they look to their own counsel, when they look to their own mind, they say, man, we got this figured out. We, I mean, and then Hosea says, you don't know it, but they've already, these strangers that you invited in, these strangers that you are actually putting your trust in now, they've already devoured your strength. Right? Can you imagine being in a position where you feel yourself to be strong and God is saying, you don't even know it, but your strength is all gone already. Like any strength you had is out the window. And this is where they're at. 
right? He says that they have gray hairs on their head and they don't know it not. They know it not. And do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that, that you haven't looked in the mirror and seen that you're getting older, that your strength is failing, right? That, that you're not the, the you know, right 20-year-old you, you used to be. But you have no clue. You, you think you are, right? You think you can do everything. And I'm sure we've all met people before where they were like getting up in age and they were still trying to act like they're 20 years old. And what happens? They get hurt, right? They fall off cliffs, right? I mean, they, they do things that they shouldn't do and eventually it leads to really, really bad ends. And so here they are. They don't know it. He says that they are like silly doves without heart. And what that is saying is they're like this foolish bird without any sense. Right? And then, and what he's doing is he wants us to picture what Israel is like. And so now you're picturing this like foolish bird that's flying around and really has no, no purpose, no direction. And, and, and what he's saying is they're flying right into the net. They have no clue. They think life is wonderful. They think they're happy and one, and, and how foolish they are. And the problem here is made abundantly clear. They do not return to the Lord. They do not seek Him. Right? They're putting their trust in everything else other than God. Hosea chapter 8, verse 3. Israel has cut off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. Now, what do you think the thing that is good is? They've cut off God. They've cut off the relationship with God. They cut off the truths that God had given them. Cut off the counsel of God, right? They they cut off everything that that could really bring them help. And the enemy is pursuing them. And can I tell you something? I think that the second part of that verse is almost always true, right? The enemy is almost always in pursuit. But when you've cut off the thing that is good and the enemy is pursuing you're in a really bad place. Verse 4, They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Right? They've ridden themselves of everything good, and when they did that, they started to replace the good things with lesser things, with with evil things, right? I mean, rather than rather than having a God to lead them, what did Israel do? We want a king. I mean, he's actually pointing back like a long time here, saying that this all began when Israel said, we don't want God to rule over us, we want a king to rule over us. And in um, 1 Samuel chapter 8, God warns them over and over and over again, they're, they're going to take, if you set up a king for yourself, they're going to take your sons, they're going to take your daughters, they're going to take your money, they're going to take your land, they're going to take your servants, they're going to they're take everything from you. You don't realize that, that if you set up a man as God, then they just take. But Israel said, we want to be like the nations around us. We want a king for ourselves. And so they had it. And now, since that time, especially here in Israel, they have had no concern of whether their king was to worship or serve God or not, right? The, the king was the one who was either the son of the previous evil king or the one that killed the previous evil king. It, it was just a, a completely man-made system, nothing to do with God. He, he's even saying that, I don't I even know what's going on there, right? And obviously God does know, but he's saying that, that I'm so removed from your system that it's like I'm this outsider with no inside knowledge, right? That's how far you've pushed me away. He says, of their silver and gold, they have made them idols, right? 
And so they're trusting in now their princes, they're trusting in these kings that they've set up, and they're trusting in their silver and their gold. We've all got all this money. And they take this money, they make these idols, and they have new things to trust in. You see what's happening with Israel is that they're constantly taking their trust from God and they're placing it in other things, right? Things that are tangible, things that they can see, people that they can see, right? Because I think in some ways that is easier, right? It's easy to say, I trust this, this will hold me. Sometimes it's harder to step back and say, in faith, I trust God because he's made the world and he has me in his hands, right? But it's easier. And unfortunately, I think sometimes what we do, even in our Christian life, is we look to other Christians to trust, right? We look to them to give us what only God can give us, right? And ultimately, everybody fails you. Ultimately, your faith has to be in God. So the problem here, rejection of God for all of these other things. Um, in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, we read this verse last week, and I just want to show you the context that this verse is in. It says, they have sown the wind, they shall reap the whirlwind. Right? This is the context. They've trusted all of these other things. That is sowing the wind. You start trusting things that aren't God, you will reap a whirlwind of destruction. And we all know the whirlwind is a lot stronger than wind. And so what's going on here is he's saying, you're, you're putting this out there thinking it's not a big deal and you have no idea what's coming back at you soon. Hosea chapter 8, verse 9. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself, Ephraim has hired lovers. Right? And the wild ass, a wild donkey that is foolish, he has no one to lead him. And, and so you're picturing this donkey in the field that, that really has no direction and is just going to the first one that puts their hand out for food, with food. He's saying, you're this donkey who is mine, right? Who I protected, who I took care of, who I loved. And now you've just ran away from your owner, the one who's rightfully yours. And you're just like fleeting around to the first one. And you don't realize the slavery that you're walking into. You have hired lovers. You've gone to Assyria. And so this is, I mean, if we were to, to look at the history of Assyria and, and what they did with the people they conquered, we would find that they were an incredibly evil nation, right? Their way of conquering people was, was very special. They would separate everyone, separate people, separate families, separate communities, send them all over the empire, and then put them into slavery. Now, when other nations conquered nations, um, some of them actually had, I think, in some ways, smarter ways of doing it. Um, for example, Alexander the Great, when, they conquer, when he conquered nations, he would try to bring good things from Greek culture into that nation. And so he was, he was trying to say, we can make your nation better, right? He was trying to, to find a way to make the people he conquered love him. And because they loved him, they would be less likely to revolt against him if they felt comfortable. But that's not how Assyria worked. Assyria thought, if we can, if we can separate you and destroy you enough, then you'll never be able to rise up again. And that's what, that's how Assyria worked. And this is the country that they're going to, to put their trust in. To hire as though they're gonna, they're gonna care so much about Israel that they're gonna defend them when, when necessary. Nah, they're getting closer and closer and closer to you until they swallow you up just like everyone else. That's what was happening. Um, Hosea chapter 8 verse 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. I gave them all of this truth. 
I gave them everything they needed. And what's amazing is when you look at Israel's history, every time they kept God's law, they prospered. Right? It's just amazing to see what God did with Israel when Israel was trying to do right. They became like the, the beauty of the world, this, this nation. They shone. It just happens so rarely. We don't see much of that in the Old Testament. But when it happens, it's beautiful. It's like I gave you all these great things in my law, but you count it as a strange thing. You thought, what God is saying is, is dumb. You can't follow that in our day today. We have to have a system like the world. We have to have a king. We have to have all these other things. We have to have gold. We have to have military. We have to have allegiances. God is crazy to think that all we can do is trust in him. That's exactly what they were called to do in the first place. And so they left everything that God had given, everything God had said in his law to follow after the world system. Uh, Verse 13, they sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepts them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt for Israel has forgotten his maker and builds temples and Judah has multiplied fenced cities, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour the palaces thereof. What's interesting here is the one thing that they didn't leave was their religion, their religious practices. Right? And what God is saying here is that they're still doing sacrifices. They're still building temples. They're still, they're still trying, you know, they have this semblance of worship to God. And, but God is saying, when you're following the world in every way and all of your trust is in the world, so don't come to me with a sacrifice. I'm not going to accept a sacrifice like that. Don't act like, oh, today you trust him. Today you need something. So today he's your genie. That's not how God works. Right? And so he, he wants our faith. He wants our trust. He doesn't just want our obedience to some tradition that, that he's set up, even if it's a good thing, right? I mean, you imagine somebody coming to get baptized because they thought somehow God would be pleased with that, and yet they didn't trust God in every other area of their life. God's not pleased. There's nothing good in that, right? There's no, there's no magic in this, okay? This is, this is relationship with God. This is, God is, is not looking for some action. He's looking for our hearts, He's looking for our minds. He's looking for us. And that comes through trust and faith. We must know him. We must trust him. Uh, verse, chapter 10, verse 12, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. He says, so to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So there, there's hope here. He said, if, if you would change your way and you'd look to me and you'd sow in righteousness, you would reap in mercy. If you'd break up the hard clay of your heart um, and, and seek the Lord, then he would rain righteousness upon you. So there is hope there, but, but this is what they've done instead. Verse 13, you have plowed in wickedness. So what you've been sowing is wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you did trust in your way in the multitude of your mighty men. This is what you did instead. You trusted your own way. My way is higher than your way, say the Lord. My thoughts higher than your, your thoughts. God calls us to trust in his way. And when we start trusting in what makes the most sense to us, we're in a lot of trouble. I've been talking, I talked um, 
recently to a couple guys who very smart guys, um, but they're not Christian guys. They're, they don't they don't believe the Word of God, and it's amazing to me how they will bank their their beliefs, their future, their life, everything they do on what goes on in their own head. Not realizing, first of all, how fallible your brain is, right? I mean, you don't know all things. I mean, you don't have enough information to process. You don't have the ability to process what you need to process. Like, there's so much that you don't know and so much you can't, you can't know, you can't process. And yet you're going to bank on that? And he's saying that's what they're doing. Right? They've looked around them. They've seen how things work. They've seen other nations. They said, hmm, this makes sense to us. And they're so foolish. And God has given us his perfect word. God has given us his, his mind. He's given us his wisdom. And that's what we, we push aside. That's what Israel pushed aside. right? Because this was better in their mind. Chapter 12 Sorry, chapter 11, verse 5. Hosea 11, verse 5 says, He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to return. The sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt them. Again, it's clear that, that because of their sin, because of the way they're going, Assyria would be made their king. We also find that part of this is, is once again, it's their own counsels, right? They're going after their own thoughts and their people that are giving them um, worldly advice. But what's interesting in verse 7, he says, my people are bent on backsliding. What he's saying is my, my people are just so bent on turning away from me. What a sad statement that is. When the people of God are just bent on turning away, on on turning their back to God. He says, though they called out to the Most High, He's not going to raise them up. And that, again, that reminds us, we can't just use God however we want to. right? He can't be like one tool in our playbook. That's what God is saying here. Your wisdom is all of these things. You're trusting in all of these things. And what you want to do is every once in a while be able to pull out the God card. I say, God, God, fix this thing. God's God saying, I'm not going to listen to you when you call out that way. What I want you to do is I want you to put your trust in me. And when you put your trust in me and you call out to me, then, then I listen, right? And then you follow me. And the, your whole life is about trust in me and faith in me and following my word. And so it's very problematic when we just want to, want to pull out a God card. Hosea chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on the wind and follows after the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. They do make a covenant with the Assyrians. And oil is carried to Egypt. Um, Hosea chapter 12, verse 8 said, Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. You, you see here that what they're doing is they've made this covenant. And in making the covenant with Assyria, they broke the covenant with God. Right? In making these um, promises, these business interactions and deals with Egypt, they said, what, we're, what we need is from the world. 
right? Because Egypt is the picture of the world throughout the Old Testament, right? They're the picture of bondage and slavery that the world brings. And now what they're doing is they're trading. They're, they're, they're making money off of this evil place. And they're so proud in verse 8 of the riches. They're so proud of, of, of how they're doing financially. And they have no idea the destruction that, that these things are going to bring to them. So we put it all together, right? You got all these verses, and there was many more. I mean, it was hard for me to cut this down. You might think that I didn't cut out enough. I, I, it was, there's a, so many verses that just show how they were trusting in all these things and not trusting in God. Israel believed that they would be unaffected by mixing the things of God with the things of the world around them. So they mixed themselves with the people around them. They brought in everything worldly. That's where it, that's where it starts. Israel trusted in the relationships they formed with the surrounding nations, with Egypt, picture of sin, with Assyria, this evil, wicked nation. The prophets had already named Assyria as the nation that would bring them into bondage. Can you imagine if it was so clearly laid out to you by God? If you follow this nation, Assyria, they will bring you into bondage. And what does the king do? Assyria, we got to talk because we got some business deals we want to make. And I think like we could have a military allegiance that would be really helpful for both of our countries. Let's strike up a deal with you so I can solidify my safety in this world. And God has already said, that's the nation that brings you into bondage. And that's the nation they go to for help. It, it's insane. God's response, you don't know, but your hairs are already gray. You're almost already dead. You're like a dumb bird without any sense. You're flying straight into their net. In fact, he says there, you're, strying, you're flying into his net. And so that ultimately it would be God, not just Assyria, but it would be God that would punish them. It would be God that would punish their sin. Um, there are some descriptions of the judgment of God in Hosea that will make your skin crawl, right? You'll read the descriptions in Hosea chapter 8. Descriptions like um, that God would be like a she-bear that has his cub taken that, and would destroy his enemy. That God would be a, like a lion who would tear apart, right? She-bear, a, a female bear. That's she-bear is in there. Um, that, that God would be like a lion. Can you imagine being devoured by a lion? That's a description. That, that the women in Israel would have their stomachs slashed open and the children living inside them killed. I mean, that, the descriptions that are given in the book of Hosea of what the judgment's going to be like are terrifying. And this is the thing that they're walking themselves into willingly because they don't want to trust God. Israel has trusted their kings, their princes, their governments. They have trusted their silver and their gold. They have trusted the idols that they make with their own hands. They've made military allegiances with wicked and ungodly nations as though as somehow they could pay for their safety that these greedy, immoral kings would not ever come wanting more. They made the word of God seem strange and instead invented their own sacrifices, their own religion. Um, Israel trusted in their own way, the strength of their armies. They trusted in their own councils. They made military covenants and business deals with wicked and ungodly nations. They trusted in their military and in the economic prowess that they had. And as we look at what Israel trusted in, I hope what we see is that it sounds very familiar. It's not different from what we trust in today. We trust in the strength of our own arms. We trust in the wisdom of our minds. 
right? We trust in the stuff that we can see. We trust in our job. We trust in our riches. We trust in, in the home that we own. We trust in whatever, whatever it is. I mean, we trust in a whole lot of things. We trust in the idols that we've made for ourselves. And that's exactly what they were doing. Um, trusting in governments, abundance of wealth and material goods, goods, deals that we secure. All of it. You know, all, do you know what all of it is? All of it is idolatry. Right? There's, there's no time that you're trusting something other than God that it's not idolatry. And that's what God hates. And the $6.1 million lottery winner in Chatham, I think, is just exemplifies this. Like yep. it's, it's a... It's a real day, like modern day example. <coughs> you can see the mess this guy is making yeah. of his life. Absolutely. I think it's, it, it's just, I, that's all I've been thinking, of, not all I've been thinking about, but it certainly <laughs> has come to mind. I want $6.1 million. I would do so much better with it than <laughs> Just his, just, you know, what he put his trust in, and, and even after like a week, the mess that he's making. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I actually didn't know somebody won six point nine dollars, but that's. Oh well, so he's left. So he's left his his living. Uh, he, he won and, and and didn't tell his spouse that he was in a relationship for several years, and then disappeared. Then left, and then tried to cash the ticket and not include her in the. It's just a. Oh wow. Yeah, it's a, it's quite the tale. Yep. So. It sounds like it. Yeah. Because we we get so blind, right? So foolish, and that's what God is trying to expose their foolishness. And I think it's helpful. I mean, they didn't listen, and they went into bondage. They were destroyed. But we can listen, right? Eric? It doesn't happen quickly either. It's a slow consumption. Yep. Um, one of the examples, Hosea mentions Balaam in 11. And when Israel first uh, went into the wilderness, there were a few German, and they met Moabites, Yep. The Moabites could not go to war with them. Yep. So they chose another tactic, yep. deception. Right. And they brought them to prostitutes in this world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that should be a little bit scary for us because some of what we're doing here, and, and if we're bringing this into like our church and our families, some of what we do here, we might not be reaping all of the, the judgment of God at this point. I mean, ultimately we will, right? Um, and then all, I mean, understanding all of this, the blood of Christ covers our sin, but we still answer, we still stand before God, we answer for God what we do with this life, right? And so ultimately, we will stand before God. But some of what we do today, we're setting up the future generations. How are they going to worship? Who are they going to bring in? You know, and if, if we start slipping, we're just going in the wrong way. Yeah, you know, what came to my mind, I mean, those are big, those are big examples. <clears throat> I think of, of being cool, mm-hmm. being witty, all these things that protect us and make people, you know, stay away from us, not, yep. you know, not attack us, um, instead of being loving and kind, you know, uh, in times that I've protected myself by my wit rather than allowing myself to be. Yeah. Way later. Yeah. But because, you know what I mean? Right. I wanted to love them now. Right, absolutely. And, and all of that is faith, right? I mean, Paul says he, that he is he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God. Paul has so much confidence in the gospel's power that he goes into his world and he's not worried about his own life, clearly. And he knows that, like, he's, he's <laughs> what's the point of making people like him? 
It's all about trying to get the gospel to other people. And so, yeah, that's a great, great point. It, 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 so much, all of it comes down to what are we trusting? Who are we trusting? Okay, how much are we trusting? So, uh, studying the Old Testament, uh, while you're uh, teaching, I, I thought of uh, in First Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that's a, when I read that verse again, I'll think of the, they, yeah. and I'll think of the priests that they didn't seek God, they uh, seek wealth. Yeah. And they have a love of money, they wanted the prosperity. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Uh, what a uh, studying the Old Testament, you it, you can get deeper into the New Testament, understand it better. Yeah, yo, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think another verse that goes right along with that verse, and I I have it in here, Matthew chapter six twenty four. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, right? You can't trust and serve and love and God, and at the same time, trust and serve and love money, right? All kinds of evil. And these are all examples of this. Um, all of the following verses here after Matthew, it's telling us to put our trust in God. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so it's abundantly clear, guys. This is not like, man, he's teaching something new. He's teaching something that I have never seen that before. This is like, the core of Christianity is faith, trust in God. Not just for your salvation, but for every day that you walk through life. For everything you do, for all the decisions you make, for our um, security, for our satisfaction, for our joy, for our peace. Those things come from God, not from these things that we're going to try and fill them with. And I think there's a special danger for us because in our world, um, especially with our wealth, we have so much we could put our trust in. Right? We have so many of these potential dangers. And so we should heed to these warning signs. Um, when we have faith in those things, we have misplaced faith. And Spurgeon said, faith without promise would be a foot without ground to stand on. And that is the situation that Israel is in. They're trusting in promises that don't exist. They're trusting in promises of these nations that those promises, it, they have, they're standing on ground that's not under their feet. They're just about to fall. When they trust these things, um, they necessarily do not trust God. And recognize that fact, that as soon as we're trusting these other things, we are necessarily not trusting God. And so it, it's a choice that we make. Um, I have an application that I didn't get to. But I'm going to give you the points, and then you're going to just pretend like everything inside of them was life-changing. Point number one, we understand that faith is an ongoing decision to trust in an object, right? That is what faith is. It's an ongoing decision to trust in an object, a spe- special object. Um, Tozer said, faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze at the heart of a triune God. Okay? Continually gazing into the heart of God. Um, the second point was we must be aware of those people and those things that attempt to stand in God's place. There will be many of them. They're attempting to stand in God's place. So beware. And finally, we must repent and put our faith in the God who is. And I think that this message can be very um, uh, important for those who don't know Christ, right? But I also think that 
so many of these messages that call us back to faith, they're calling Christians to greater faith, right? They're calling Christians to trust more. And, and we still have that flesh inside of us that longs to have control. I always think of the Casting Crown songs, that we're fearless warriors in a picket fence. Um, Lord, how much can I um, give away, Lord, without losing all control? And that's how we live. We live in a way that we give and we trust in ways that are comfortable. And, and those ways that are uncomfortable, we don't trust. Right? Our faith isn't there in those areas. And so what I want us to do today is think of our hearts. What are we trusting in? Are there areas in our lives that we're trusting in ourselves? We're trusting in our logic and our ability to secure deals and, and whatever it is. Or, and if we find those areas in our life, can we find a way to give those things to God? Trust him completely, fully. So that's the lesson today. We'll get into the final problem in the book of Hosea next week. Thanks for coming.